like the Buffalo Bills. What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English, joined by my co-host, Andrew Ogwich. We are back with another episode following the Super Bowl. Um, A bit of a unique episode today. We're going to kind of go over the Super Bowl, maybe just some thoughts um, on the game itself, probably some feelings we had regarding the Bills during, before, after the game, um, wishing that they were there. We're going to then go through the last three Bills draft classes and kind of just break those players down. And then finally, we got some good Sabres content. We're going to spend a good little bit of time uh, talking about them as they're finally playing some really good hockey. Two-game win streak, chance to make it three tomorrow night against Ottawa. Um, and Jack Eichel will be making his debut tonight, so we'll touch on that as well. Um, but I guess first and foremost, Andrew, how's your week going? And what were your thoughts um, on the Super Bowl? Um, <clears throat> week's not too bad. I wish there was football at the end of it, but, you know, such is life right now. Uh, that's where we're at. Um, but I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl. I mean, I didn't think it was terribly exciting. Uh, to be completely honest, I kind of dozed off in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I woke up as the Rams scoring drive started. Um, so got a little boring, right? I mean, it was just punts back and forth uh, for most of the second half. But, yeah, I mean, it was all right. As far as, right, like the trauma of, oh, this should have been the Bills, I it didn't really hit me. It didn't really bother me. I mean, I'm – I uh, kind of put it past me at this point. Um, yes, it would have been nice to watch the Bills play. Probably could have won. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, I thought, I don't know, all in all, it was a decent quarterback, a decent Super Bowl quarterback play was meh, right? It wasn't Josh Allen out there. Um, <clears throat> Joe Burrow was – okay he didn't cost his team the game um had opportunities to win it on their last drive right like pictures are coming out recently on twitter uh jamar chase uh totally broke um ramsey's ankles on the the sack play at the end of their drive right could have been a walk-in touchdown but that line just collapsed on them so i don't know i mean is Joe Burrow still um, a powerhouse quarterback in the AFC like everyone thinks he is? Maybe. It's his second year. Honestly, you could call this his first year because right, his rookie year, he didn't play half of it because uh, his knee exploded. So, I don't know. I mean, he's good, but I just I don't think he's going to be something that's going to uh, cause me to lose sleep you know, leading into when we ever play them and we'll play them next year in Cincinnati. So um, long way of saying it was an okay Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought the beginning of the game was pretty good. I thought early on, it looked like the Rams were kind of going to maybe run away with the game um, just based on what they were doing offensively. Obviously the 
Odell Beckham injury happens, which sucks for him. I mean, regardless of what you think of him as a human, like another ACL tear when he's having a really good game and kind of proving a lot of people wrong just based on the postseason he had. I mean, he had more touchdowns in his short Rams tenure so far than his whole entire two years with Cleveland. Um, and he was obviously wrecking that game um, before he gets hurt. And then it was very evident they were having a tough time scoring in the game kind of became a snooze fest. Even the Bengals like first play of the second half, you know, long, cool touchdown after what I thought was an awesome halftime show, like the face mask was blatantly obvious and it doesn't get called. So Bengals fans, you can be mad about some of the calls, the end of the game. I mean, the one in the, corner of the end zone on Cooper cup. I mean, it was a clear cut pass interference with the play before, like there was a little contact probably shouldn't need to get called, but at the same time earlier in the game, you got a touchdown off of what should have been a penalty. So, um, right. well, and if you don't piss away all those drives and don't punt how many times in a row, yeah. you don't have to worry about the revs, the refs making weird calls for sure. And I mean, again, like the Jamar chase thing, yeah, he was getting wide open, but, I mean, Aaron Donald had Joe Burrow in his, you know, arms before Chase even could even break it off. I mean, if you freeze from it from when Chase actually gets open, Bur- or, excuse me, yeah, Burrow's already on the ground, like dead in the water. The offensive line definitely let the Bengals down, which is kind of another reason I'm not too scared of them because even if they go out and add a piece or two, I don't know if that's really going to truly um, affect them um, to – you know, give them an A-plus offensive line. And our good old friend, Quentin Spain, who talks some trash about the Bills, just got absolutely blown up by Aaron Donald, which is a tough task in itself. But um, right. seeing the way he got blown up was pretty funny. But, yeah, the game itself wasn't anything special. Happy for Matt Stafford. Um, as the game went on, I kind of lost the feel. I mean, I, I texted you before the game where – I finally had like, I'd really never even had any feelings after the bills lost, maybe like the day or so after about, you know, you know, this, that, and the third, like, you know, we should be playing more games. But we're not, you know, whatever. And right before the game started, it kind of hit me of like, damn, like this really should be us right now. Or like, this could be us. And we kind of let it squander away, but then it's one of those that you can play the what if game with everything. And, you know, it is what it is. We didn't make enough plays. We didn't deserve to be there. And, you know, we'll have a chance next year to run it back. And you're um, thing on Joe Burrow. I agree. I mean, like he, he is a hot commodity right now. He's the hottest thing on the market. I mean, everyone loves to go with the Cinderella story and obviously it's a cool thing and he's in a small market and everyone's running with it. Um, do I think he's something that the bill should be super scared of? No, but I mean, he's definitely not like, an easy competition. Like there'll be a tough out when you play them, but I think it's still pretty clear that it's Allen Mahomes world um, in the AFC. And I'm sure in the next few years, guys like Herbert, I'm sure Lamar Jackson has some motivation guys like that are going to be, you know, putting their name in the hat for that. Um, so, but like you said, the game overall was eh. um, halftime show was more entertaining than the game itself. I thought, but um yeah, not really anything else um, on the game, and we don't have too much um, Bills content right now. We'll probably get a lot more into the free agency stuff and um, more of draft stuff once players actually start doing workouts and we start seeing combine stuff and um, kind of a little too early to do an accurate mock draft. But we do want to go back 
Um, over the last three years, I kind of just evaluate, you know, the McBean um, era. So last three years of drafting to kind of see where we're at, um, what players have been good, what ones are we still having question marks about, and what ones have been just like complete and utter failures. Um, so I'll leave it up to you as far as do you want to start with this past draft class or dating back um, to three years ago in 2019 to start things off? Um, let's go back to 2019. All right. So quickly, I'm just going to run through the names of all the players and rounds that we picked, and then we can go through each one one by one. So this draft class featured Ed Oliver with our number one overall pick at pick nine. Then we went Cody Ford in round two. We had two picks in round three with Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox. No fourth round pick. Fifth round was Voshan Joseph. No, sixth round, Jaquan Johnson. And then two seventh round picks um, and Daryl Johnson and Tommy Sweeney. Um, so I guess starting in round one, Ed Oliver. Um, if you had to give a grade of obviously F through A, what would you give Ed Oliver so far after, you know, three seasons now with him? Um. I'd say like a B plus, A minus, right? He hasn't um, been a, a showstopper, but he's one of your biggest pieces on the defense. So, yeah, I think he's right in that kind of just above average slot. Yeah, I, I think I had him slotted in an A minus. I thought, especially at the later half of – back end of this year's schedule, and then especially in the playoffs, it was very evident that his presence was felt. Um, he was a guy we talked about in the preseason that needed to make that next step, um, and especially with all the stuff going on, whether it was you know Harrison Phillips getting off to a slow start, but then finally getting back into full gear off the injury, Starla Tule being in out of the lineup, and you know last year the whole thing was, well, without Star being there, Ed Oliver wasn't able to be effective. Is that what he's going to be going forward? And I think he proved a lot of doubters, including myself, in some ways wrong um, from that aspect as far as even when those guys weren't in there, he was still being able to be a very efficient and effective player. Um, I still think there's another tier for him to reach, and I think he can um, get there this next year. I think he's motivated. It's very clear um, that he has a good head on his shoulders and he has the right people around him to make that next step. Um, but like you said, it hasn't been like an A-plus home run. But for the value you got him at at pick nine and some of the guys taken ahead of him, um, specifically Quinn and Williams at that same position, I would still take Ed Oliver over him at this point um, right now. Um, Cody Ford was our second-round pick. Um, right now, to me, I think it's a, a C, C-plus maybe. He's shown flashes. He had a couple games this year where he stepped in and he filled in pretty decently. And then there were some other games he stepped in and it was a complete liability having him on the field. This was a guy that was very, you know, highly respected, well thought of coming out of the draft. You know, the big talk going into this season was, you know, our offensive line last year was never healthy, but, you know, Cody Ford just going to be kind of a plug and play starters, what it seemed like it was going to be. And very quickly that got derailed. And now it seems like at best for the Bills, he's going to be a depth lineman or he's going to be finding himself out of a roster spot or being traded because um, as good as the first year was in the promising moments he had, um, it seems like he's kind of fallen out of favor and he just isn't what they expected overall. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we're yet to see exactly right what he can do. I mean, you never know what we can get out of him, right, with a new coaching staff there in his world and just more time um, to develop and keep learning. But, I mean, looking at that 2019 draft and who was taken after him, I don't really know. Uh, Greedy Williams, right, cornerback, he was – about nine picks later, A.J. Brown, the wide receiver for Tennessee, was a couple after Greedy. Um, after that, right, like there weren't really any big name picks after. So, I mean, right, the, the Bills had a need at that point to get linemen, and I think it was a good pick for them in that moment. Um, we'll just see, right, hopefully he can uh, put it together and, kind of step up a little bit yet to be seen. And then third round, they get two guys, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox. Uh, we'll kind of pair them together. Um, Singletary has obviously had an up and down um, few years with the Bills. There's been the rookie year where, based on how well he played, it ended up with LaShawn McCoy being completely, you know, off the roster and then it was up and down the second year. And then this year, he really came back into his own, especially um, at the late part of the season. Um, based on the third round, he's a little undersized, but he has very good vision. And he's obviously stepped up at the later part of the year. Um, right now, I'd say he's probably uh, B, B minus for the Bills because there's still some untapped potential there. But I think the consistency is where uh, Bill's feds are probably concerned. Um, and Dawson Knox, I would give an A just based on you're talking about a guy who is probably one of the most raw prospects in that draft class, didn't have a ton of opportunity and a lot of catches at Ole Miss. Um, tight ends are one of the positions that take a few years to develop, as we saw. And we saw this year Dawson Knox have a breakout season, how much the offense changes when he is at um, you know, playing at his best. And we saw what happened when he did miss a few games and the Bills offense kind of fluttered, especially in Jacksonville when he wasn't playing. And he's a decent blocker and he has a great chemistry with Josh. And it seems like his trajectory is only going up. And he's another guy this offseason that I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to extend him now coming off of a good year before next year he goes on and has you know, maybe 900 to 1,100 yards receiving and maybe even more touchdowns. Like we just don't know. Josh is such a good quarterback. And the way he was able to play this year, he probably would have had 12, 13 touchdowns if he didn't miss, you know, a few games or get hurt at the late end of the Tennessee game. Like who knows what would have happened. So um, just based on raw, the raw prospect and what he's done, you know, each year going up and especially being a third round pick, um, I think it's that pick so far has been a home run for the Bills. Yeah, totally. Agree. I mean, I think both of them, Devin and Dawson, have progressed the way you kind of expect, right? Late, mid to late rounder draft picks to do, right? They're in their third year. Um, this season was their third year. 
they have come into their own. They've come into their position um, rooms as leaders. They've taken on um, playing time and the majority of the workload. And that's what you expect out of those draft picks, right? It's going to take them a few years. They're not first rounders and not second rounders for a reason, but they're developing well. They're doing the small things right. And I, I think, right. I mean, the rest of this draft is not really anything to sneeze at, right? Like the excitement stops after the third round. Um, so I, I definitely, <clears throat> right. Would give them both probably A's, A minuses, A's, uh, even Devin, right. I know you were a little lower on him, but I, I think how he's been able to progress um, just, you know, kind of earns him that little step up to be in line with Dawson. And as you kind of just allude to, after the third round, it kind of falls off just like the rest of um, the Bills draft class. I mean, five, six, and seven, Joseph, Jaquan Johnson, Daryl Johnson, and Sweeney. Um, Boshan Joseph was kind of a unique pick because he was a guy that seemed like he was going to get picked a lot higher, but he had a lot of off-the-field issues. I mean, he seemed like he might have been able to fit in that linebacking room, but that clearly failed. Um, Not really anything to knock the bills on. I mean, it was worth a kind of a flyer at that point in the draft. Um, Jaquan Johnson's been a nice piece for the bills in the sixth round. Um, He's a special teams contributor. He backs up Poyer and Hyde well um, for a six-round value. He's not going to blow you away, but is able to come in and play when needed. And then Johnson and Sweeney. Sweeney's a nice player. Um, he's a good blocker. He doesn't wow you with his route running or anything. He actually has a lot of drops, a couple fumbles. Um, and then Daryl Johnson had some nice flashes, but we were able to trade him away um, to Carolina just because we had so much depth. Um, not a bad player, but um, all those guys, nothing. I don't think the Bills did anything wrong. Um but I think Jaquan Johnson in the sixth round is probably the best value pick they had um, in that draft for a guy that's still on the roster and still contributing in some way, shape, or form to the team compared to um, the rest of the guys who either were really not getting on the field that often or, or getting on the field for just like specialty plays, like in the case of Sweeney really coming on for just run blocking or the occasional slip out for a pass like Lee Smith would for a one-yard touchdown. Right. Yep. Agree. Um, 2020, uh, no first round pick. We got Stefan Diggs. Well worth it. Um, mm-hmm. second round, AJ Epinesa, third, Zach Moss, Gabe Davis, fourth, Jake Fromm in the fifth, Tyler Bass and Isaiah Hodgins, both in the sixth and Dane Jackson in the seventh. So this draft class, I think fares very well for Brandon Bean, um, just based on a lot of value. I think there's still a verdict to be out on, AJ Epinesa, which we're going to start with. He's definitely shown enough flashes where I think if he's given the reps um, next year and kind of takes over the load of a Jerry Hughes or a Mario Addison, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. This is a guy that can put up anywhere from eight to 10 sacks if given them opportunities. Um, he's shown flashes that he's able to be a game wrecker. Um, especially early on in the season, he was one of the Bills' best defensive players the first four weeks, and then he kind of got – he had a little bit of injury and COVID issues, and then he kind of had a tough time finding his way back in the lineup. 
as consistently. Um, I don't think it's a home run pick, but I definitely still think it's a B, B-plus pick by the Bills for a guy that could have been taken in the first round by all accounts in that draft class, but was able to kind of slip to us in the second. Um, just based on what he's shown, um, I think it, that was a good pick for the Bills. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think this draft class is arguably either the best or the second best to Josh's draft class as the best class they've had in the last 10 years. I mean, lots of talent here. Um, and I think like a lot of guys, like, <clears throat> like I said, with Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox, AJ Epines, I think, um, right. Going into now his third year, he has to show that he's progressing, make that next step. Like, the guys before you have, um, like you said, he's shown uh, flashes of greatness and that he knows what he's doing and he can hold the um, workload and kind of step in for Jerry as he's on his way out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd give him a B minus C plus, right. He's hasn't blown my socks off yet, but I don't think he's a bust, right? Like I, I think there is still a lot of potential there um, for him to show up for you. Um, Zach Moss, I think is going to be kind of the, maybe the most down as far as this draft. Um, again, he's only played two years. Um, he's had some injury issues, obviously, but even when he's been healthy, he's only had stretches of a few weeks where, especially, I mean, early on in the season when Singletary um, didn't have it going and they went to Moss, like against um, Kansas City, Moss kind of took over. But especially later in the season, it was very clear that he fell out of favor to Singletary. And then there were even points where he's healthy scratched for Matt Breida for a guy that was picked in the third round only two years in, that's not the greatest sign. And compared to the guys like AJ Epinesa, Singletary, and these other guys we're going to talk about, I just haven't seen like a flash from Zach Moss that's really made me be like, oh, this guy's going to be something. Like he's had a few nice moments, but he's never really done anything that just wows me or jumps off the page compared to some of the stuff that Devin's been able to do out of the backfield. So to me, and we talked about, you know, last week, this could be a guy that's finding himself getting traded or not on the roster next year. Um, so to me, it's probably a C pick C minus. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely right. <clears throat> More of a complimentary player than someone who you can rely on. Um it is disappointing, um, right? There were, was a lot of hopes about him. Um, but again, looking who came after him, it's not that bad of a pick. I mean, they needed to beef up running back, right, after um, Shady Weaving and right whatever other plans they thought they had, he was available, so they went and got him. So, yeah, it's kind of been disappointing what he's been able to do. Um, he's definitely expendable, which you don't want to be able to say about a third round pick two years after he was drafted. Um, but I mean, it happens, right? You're not going to hit every draft pick out of the park. Um, 
And who knows, maybe they see something out of him that us stooges don't, and he can put it together and step up again. Um, that's yet to be seen, obviously. But yeah, uh, a little disappointing um, pick there. Uh Gabe Davis, round four, I'd say this is probably arguably Bean's best pick thus far. Um, Guy that you get in the fourth round that, as of right now, is probably your number two receiver is a reason you're talking that you don't have to bring back Emmanuel Sanders or a guy like Cole Beasley is expandable because you have Gabriel Davis. Um for a fourth round pick to come in and make the impact on and off the field that he's had as both a blocker and a receiver um, alone to me is an automatic a, I mean, we saw what he did four touchdowns, you know, only in his second year against the Kansas state chiefs in a divisional round playoff game on the road is just nuts. And you don't see that too often from, I mean, you've seen some the second and third round receivers, and yeah, there's the occasional fourth or fifth, but um, Gabe Davis is starting to put himself in elite category as far as late round draft picks that have a chance to be potential Pro Bowl players in the future. Like, I really think Gabe Davis has that high of a ceiling. The way he works, the way his teammates talk about him. I mean, Stephon Diggs raves about the way Gabriel Davis works. Um, and it's clear that he wants to be in Buffalo. He wants to win. And it was just an absolute home run pick by Brandon Bean. I honestly don't know how he fell to the fourth round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's um behind the scenes video that's come out, right. Where you hear Brandon Bean talking to his scouts and the team about how, right. Like I hope he runs watch- slow. Yeah. They hope he runs slow so he stays under the radar and falls to them. I mean, you look at the rest of this draft, It Gabe Dave is the steal of the draft. I mean, there is no one. I'm scrolling through the draft right now. There is absolutely no one who you, I, I recognize after Gabriel Davis. I mean, it's unbelievable pick, incredible find by Brandon Bean and his scouting team. Um and yeah, I mean, A plus all around. Incredible pick. Best pick of this draft. Um, yeah, incredible. Incredible job by them. Uh, Jake Fromm in the fifth. I don't think there's really too much to say about this pick. I think it was more of a we don't, we can't really believe this guy's still on the board. This is a guy that has yeah. championship DNA from what he did at Georgia, was a pocket passer. They already knew what they were going to have with Josh. They knew they were going to have some sort of backup in Trubisky or any other guy that was backing up Josh. And they knew that this is really just a guy that's going to be here for a third, fourth starter with some potential to be a backup. I mean, they had Matt Barkley at the time too. So it's kind of like, let's take a flyer and if he works out to be a backup. Great. If not, like we got him in the fifth round and, you know, based on the other quarterbacks here, like this is easily the guy we want. He's, I think he brings in a winning culture, obviously, from what he did in college. He's been a winner his whole life. And, you know, he gets snagged up by the Giants before guys like Dable and, you know, um, their new GM are over there. So, obviously, there's some other teams around the league that had some sort of thought in him that they were able to pick him up and at least throw him out there to see what he got in a starting role. Now, the results weren't great, but the fact that 
a guy in the fifth round that you picked up to maybe be your third stringer or potential long-term backup is getting picked up and started by another team. I mean, for what, where they were picking at, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's not really a grade. I mean, it's probably just like a B, like a straight B, like you picked a decent player at a good spot. He wasn't good for you. He wasn't bad for you, but for the value that was there for him, I think it was obviously a good pick um, and, you know, wish him luck wherever he goes next, but um, really nothing to say on from that's bad. Yeah. Agree. It was a, eh, why not? Let's grab him. See what happens. It, he didn't really do anything barely played. So yeah, no, no harm done. Uh, Tyler, big baller bass, six round pick. Um, this is why you draft kickers. Um, this right. is why there's the argument now that if Justin Tucker was to get put in a draft class, why he could go in the first or second round because he's automatic points. I mean, he's had his couple bumps along the way in his first couple years, but this is a guy that's shown that, I mean, even in his rookie season in big playoff moments, he's made big kicks. He made some big kicks for us throughout the year. He's single-handedly won us games like last year when we had all field goals against the Jets like that's all on him he has he can kick from 60 plus he's got the swagger everyone in the locker room loves him um instead of going out and having to try to find some undrafted free agent or going and picking up a veteran kicker that you're not sure of the Bills have their kicker that seems like it could end up being like a Lindell type where he's going to be here for the foreseeable future unless something drastic happens like this should be the Bills kicker for the next you know six to eight years if all goes well and he's still super young and has so much potential um, and it's another home run pick by being especially I mean everyone doesn't really think kickers are that important but from what we've seen in the NFL the last couple of years with kickers and missing extra points and missing easy field goals and whatnot Bass has been probably a top five, seven reliability wise kicker. And after next year, I don't think it's out of the question that he gets talked about as a consistent top seven kicker, along with the Tuckers, the Carlson's, the Harrison Buckers of the world. Um, I think it was just another really good pick. And then kind of pairing him with Isaiah Hodgins. He's kind of the biggest wild card so far with beans draft because He's gotten hurt both years, and he's been the guy that every training camp, everyone's raving about him. And then obviously with the COVID, we had the first year we had him, like the preseason wasn't as big of a thing. And then last year he gets hurt, and he doesn't really get to play in the preseason. So it's very hard to kind of evaluate him, and I don't even want to give Hodgins like a letter grade because it's just still unknown. Yeah, he's – Hodgins, I mean, who knows what they're going to do with him, uh, right? There's so many question marks. He's barely played. It's potentially a crowded wide receiver room. We'll see what happens in the offseason, um, but we'll wait and see. But um, back to Tyler Bass. I mean, <clears throat> if you can draft a franchise player in the sixth round, uh, yeah, in the sixth round, I mean, that's that's the dream, right? Like, that's what everyone's chasing. It doesn't matter if he's a kicker, if he's a punter, or if he's Tom Brady, right? If you can get a franchise player in the sixth round when people are usually just trying to fill roster spots, I mean, it's 
it's the dream. And again, Brandon Bean was able to pull this out of nowhere, um, grab a player who, like you said, is going to be here for eight, nine, ten years um, and be a staple on your franchise. So incredible job by him and his team to find Tyler Bass and solidify that part of the team. It's it's a great find and, um, you know, people should be drafting kickers more. Yeah. And seventh round, Dane Jackson, another mm-hmm. guy that, you know, rounds five through seven, like you just said, you're kind of drafting to fill roster spots and hopefully you find a hidden gem. And it seems like the Bills, especially in this class, have found that. Now, is Dane Jackson a day one starter right now? No, but he was able to come in and fill in for Tredavious White this year when he got hurt. He, you know, played well last year when he got asked to come in and play in certain spots when other guys went down. And for a seventh round guy, for him to come in and within two years being able to show that he can be a starter capability in the league, and if needed, he can play CB2 right off the bat for you as a seventh round draft pick is another great thing. Now he's not laying the world on fire, but again, a guy that came in and probably started what the last eight games and then the whole playoffs for the bills and did a pretty stellar job and is a great tackler in the open field and never outside of maybe one or two plays. He never really got absolutely burned or shredded. Um, That's another great find. And it's, it's another, you know, tip of the cap to Brandon Bean for, finding these guys in these cultures at like the university of Pittsburgh, who's put out a lot of really good players. We just saw one of the best ones in the super bowl and Aaron Donald. We've had one in LaShawn McCoy. They put out a lot of really good high end talent and just another case of finding a guy in the seventh round that can come in and make an impact. And if you're able to continually find these guys, then you don't have to worry about going out and spending millions and millions of dollars in free agency. Well, now you got Dane Jackson on what a barely million dollar, not even million dollar contract for three to four years right off the bat, because you did the work and you scouted him. So now the bills don't have to go out and throw 10 to $15 million at another, you know, backup cornerback, so to speak. Um, Just another great pick for a guy that coming into the draft or out of the draft. I was like, I don't even know if this guy's going to make the team, but shit. Next thing you know, he's starting for us in the divisional round against the Chiefs two years later. Yeah, again, right? Finding talent, finding gems in the late rounds. It's, I mean, he's, Dane Jackson was huge. And we would not have finished this season the way we did without him, right? I mean, he's done an incredible job of stepping up when needed right away. Still a super young player who's only going to get better. So I'm a big fan of his. Um, mostly right. Partially because of the Pittsburgh connection, right. He went to school in Pittsburgh. He grew up in the town that my college was in. So a lot of cool kind of things there, but, um, I just, I like a lot. I like him a lot. I like how he plays. Um, and I'm glad he's on our team. And then getting to our recent draft class, um, Greg Russo, Boogie Basham, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, Marquez Stevenson, DeMar Hamlin, Richard Wild Goose, Jack Anderson. Um, Greg Russo, for what we got him at, at pick 30, again, kind of similar to Dawson Knox in just raw, 
Like he had one really monster year at Miami. Then he elected to sit out. So you didn't really know what you're going to get. You get him at pick 30 and it's a guy that comes in, starts for you every game, you know, plays the full season and showed a lot of flashes, a lot of athleticism. I mean, the interception he had against Kansas city was unreal. He had some really good plays in the playoffs. Um, Still a bit ways to go, I think, before he kind of reaches his full potential. Um, But just based on his size, the way he wants to work, um, just from the video of when he gets drafted, how much he, you know, introduced himself just to the staff in the buildings and calling guys and wanting to stay extra and like talk to veterans. Um, This is a guy that I think has a ton of upside that, hopefully is going to be a double digit sack getter for the bills for the next six to eight years within the next couple. He was, I thought he was awesome this year for what he was asked to do as a rookie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's a guy who wants to be here, wants to get better, wants to contribute to the defense, wants to be that big, that name on the defense. Um, and his ceiling is incredibly high. He's only going to get better. Um, so I, yeah, I'm incredibly happy with it. Um, I mean, based on his play this year, I'd give him a B, um, right? If he was a little more consistent with his play, maybe B plus, but I mean, he's only, it's only going to go up from here. Uh, Boogie Basham round two, kind of intriguing as far as this class goes, because this is a guy that for half the season was in street clothes for a guy you used a second round pick on and it was supposed to come in with Greg and be the you know reason to stop Mahomes and get to the pass rusher. And towards the end of the season, and once they actually got him playing, it was very evident he should have not been standing on the sideline. So from that perspective, it's obviously good. Maybe he just needed some more time to develop than us would see. Um, and we're wondering why he wasn't in games when it was so clear towards the end of the season he should have been in over other guys. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out what suits him better as far as him being on the edge or inside, or if he can continue to do both. Um, Not a home run pick based on, to me, based on other players that kind of went after him, some other offensive linemen and some other guys that I thought we could have used some depth at um, position wise, even at corner um, to be quite frank. Um, But overall, I'd say he's probably like a C plus B minus like he showed flashes, obviously that he's going to be a guy that's going to be on this roster next year and making an impact. It just took a lot longer this year than I think a lot of us were hoping for. And then as he got on the field, I was wondering why, you know, he was sitting for so long. Yeah. And I think, I don't think you can hold this season against him. I don't think, the bills know exactly how they want to use him yet. Um, Right. They're still trying to figure out exactly what he can do, where he fits in. And I think as right, as Jerry retires, as maybe they move star Latulale as um, right. Harry continues to get better and solidify himself. Boogie Basham will find his way into the lineup. They'll find exactly where he can, make the biggest difference um, on the defensive side of the ball. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, 
I don't think this year really gives you any indication of who he is as a player, what he can do for the team. Um, I think next year is going to be bigger for him um, and right be his kind of true year of, all right, let's see what we've got. Uh, Spencer Brown. I think this is a pretty easy one to talk about fan favorite already. Just a massive human being that looks like he's going to be on the opposite side of Deion Dawkins protecting Josh Allen for the next six to eight years, if not longer, hopefully. Um, A little bit raw still, had a couple ups and downs throughout the season, but was definitely a game changer when he was in versus when other people were in. Um, The offensive line was clearly better with him on the field compared to when he wasn't. And for a guy that was brought in, And the plan was that this guy wasn't supposed to play this year. Like that was very evident. Brandon beans talked about it. Like their thought was Darrell Williams going to start at right tackle. And then Ford or Feliciano is going to kind of fit in there and they're going to make that line work. Well, that clearly didn't happen because Spencer Brown was so dominant at rookie camp was so effective in the preseason that it was so easy that you could not take this guy off the field He's always running downfield. He's always pushing Singletary, Moss, Josh, whoever, the extra few yards at the end of plays. He talks shit. He gets in people's faces. He's a silly goofball, and everyone loves him. And it was a home run pick by the Bills. I think he still has untapped potential still. There's still some areas where he has to grow in. I thought towards the end of the playoffs, he kind of got exposed at times a little bit. But for a rookie, for as well as he played – another a plus pick by Brandon Bean. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've been high on him since the first day I saw him. He's just made an instant impact. Did not hurt the team. I mean, what he had one game with four penalties. Okay. So what as a rookie being thrown into a starting position for half a season, uh, I'll take it. I mean, he, he, for the most part, he kept Josh upright. He never hurt you. He went where they needed him to left tackle, right tackle all over the place. I mean, he just, he's only going to get better. He is your franchise left tackle or uh, franchise right tackle for the next 10 years. So yeah, I love him. Big fan, probably my favorite pick from the draft. And then five through seven, I kind of want to just clump these guys together because they really didn't see the field that much. Doyle, Stevenson, Hamlin, Wild Goose, Anderson. Um, Anderson, I think, was the definition of just draft a lineman, be some depth, be on your practice squad if he makes team great. If not, whatever. Wild Goose finished the season with the Jets. You know, was hoping maybe he could be a Taron Johnson backup. Didn't really work out. Stevenson still unknown. He showed some flashes. He had some good returns, but also screwed up a few times returning. Um, It'll be very interesting to see this off season, what they do with him, because he was also a guy they thought we're going to be able to throw on the field offensively and kind of take the top off or use in the Isaiah McKenzie role. And he never really found his way on the field that way. Does that happen? If McKenzie leaves, we'll have to see Uh, DeMar Hamlin and Tommy Doyle. I thought, for rookies, they just filled their roles good. When they came in, played special teams, or were the extra offensive linemen, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I think they're going to be the guys that for the next two to three years are going to just going to be great complimentary backups. They're going to come into work. 
They're going to do their job and then they have to go in and be on the field. They're not going to, you know, be able to play at the level of maybe a Jordan Poyer or a Spencer Brown, but they're going to come in and do a good enough job to still win you games. And I think that's the ultimate goal of drafting guys in that five through seven round draft guys that can be on your roster and help you win games when needed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add on those players. Um, a great, I mean, that's what you get out of late rounds is those support players. And that's what they did. They found that. Um, and right. Or not hurt by taking them there. What does stick out to me about the, the last three drafts, there aren't any players from big name schools. I mean, the biggest school we drafted from, right, the biggest name, Pitt, um, Isaiah Hodgins went to Oregon State. Miami for Russo. Yeah, Miami. Dawson Knox went to Ole Miss. But, like, other than that, like, it's all lesser name schools, right? Like, you got Utah, Texas Tech, Houston, my um, – North Carolina A&T was Daryl Johnson. Like who the hell's going to North Carolina A&T to scout, right? Like uh, Oklahoma, right? Cody Ford went to Oklahoma, but Jake Fromm went to Georgia, but he doesn't really count. He's not on the team anymore. But what I'm saying is, right, like the ability for the scouting department to find these hidden gems and go to schools that maybe are less crowded during senior days and during combines and stuff and try to find that hidden talent like they did with Gabe Dave. Um, that's, I mean, everyone wants their Tom Brady moment. They want their Tom Brady pick. Um, and I think, right, Brandon Bean has done a great job of trying to do that. Um, so I think that's encouraging, right? I mean, especially when there's teams like the Bengals who don't have a formal scouting department just made the Super Bowl. So to have a scouting department, find these hidden gems, um, and have them perform for you and have it not backfire, I think is huge. I think it goes uh, under the radar for this team in, in the front office. Yeah, I mean, even going back to Josh's class with Wyoming and even Tremaine at Virginia Tech and those kinds yeah. of places, and it's even more important to scout when your guys like Josh and like Ed Oliver and these guys – perform and then you have to pay them you have to be able to replace some of the guys you can't bring back for cap reasons and whatnot um so good overall by them that's pretty much gonna wrap for bill's talk today and it's the first time in a while but we have some positive stuff to talk about with the buffalo sabers um two game winning streak right now chance to make it three tomorrow night against ottawa um but five three win on sunday against the Canadians, Jeff Skinner, four goals, the resurgence. And then yesterday, a 6-3 dominant performance over the Islanders, Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, Alex Tuck, all these guys contributing. Um, I think the biggest thing from the weekend um, was definitely Jeff Skinner and all the Ralph Kruger memes (laughs) that surfaced on social media. This dude, just, just only, this dude only cares about scoring goals, and it's disgusting, and, and it needs to stop, really. I mean, it is hurting this team how much this guy just wants to score goals. It, it has to stop. <laughs> yeah, like, it's – and 
I think myself and a lot of other people have always been on the same page with Jeff Skinner as far as, yes, the contract's not great, but the reason Jeff Skinner wasn't scoring or being productive wasn't because of Jeff Skinner. It was because Ralph Kruger buried him or just healthy scratched him. And now that Don Granado has let him play, like Jeff Skinner had 21 goals in two full seasons under Ralph Kruger. He's played 40 games or 42 games, however many. He's already got 20. He's on a 37-goal pace. Again, the contract's not great, but you're telling me for the rest of his contract, he's going to net you 30-plus goals and maybe every single season or maybe all but one or two for a team that you have a lot of young guys and you need to have higher cap guys on the team anyway to meet the cap floor, I would sign up for that every single day of the week. It's very clear that the culture is starting to develop with the Sabres. It's very evident. If you don't believe in that, just go and watch the bench's reaction that they posted today after Victor Olofsson scored his first goal since Halloween last night. The entire bench erupted. Every guy, when he went past, they're shoving him. They're patting him on the back. They're all happy for him. And then he gets an empty netter, and they do the same thing. It's very clear that the culture is being built. Every time Alex Tuck talks, I love him more and more. He's going to be the future captain. He is bought into what Granado, what um, Kevin Adams are trying to build. It's very evident that he knows, listen, we're not a good team right now. We're learning. We're developing our chemistry. Hang with us. Give it a year or two. We're going to be good, and we want to get the fans back in the stands because that's the biggest thing right now is you feel bad for this team because they're actually not, like, awful to watch. Like, even if they're losing games, they're still playing a fun brand of hockey or at least the effort level is there even if they do get killed like games against Vegas that it's not unbearable to sit there and spend your time to watch it. But because of how bad your ownership and the teams have been in the past right now, we're only getting 8,000 fans a game. Hopefully that changes in the next few years. Once some of these Rochester guys come up, but I mean, these two wins, you are starting to see these young guys really show out Dylan cousins, unreal game yesterday. To me, he has a little bit of an edge to him. I don't think he's going to be as dirty of a player as a Brad Marchand, but he kind of has that type of like physicality to him where he is going to be able to put up 60 to 80 points in a few years, just go around, be physical, be a pest, and get under guys' skins. Darlene has continued to improve. He's been playing awesome since he came back from All-Star. Peyton Krebs, my God, this kid's passing ability and vision – for his age, I mean, the pass he made to Olsen last night for his goal and some of these other, like, one-tap plays, I mean, we saw it against Montreal as pass to Tage Thompson on the power play. Just this kid has the potential to be a 60-70 assist guy in a few, you know, three, four years if he can pan out. And a guy that was written off last year, Tage Thompson, everyone laughs at us for the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Tage Thompson has more points this year than Ryan O'Reilly. Now that trade's still very much in St. Louis's favor. Don't get me wrong. They won a cup first year with him, but as Tage Thompson continues to play, it's very clear that that trade isn't as ridiculous now, especially if Ryan Johnson, who we picked with our first round pick works out in a few years, 
Like Tage Thompson makes plays every night now where it's like, wow, this guy can be a legit number one or two center for us for a long time. He has the athletic ability. He has the size. He has a stick handing ability. And it just makes you wonder what we would look like if we actually just had some competent goaltending. <laughs> Not saying we'd be in a playoff spot, but we'd probably be right in that Columbus Detroit range as like the first team out. Granted, there's still an eight to 10 point gap, but we'd be right there with those teams. So there's a lot to like about what they're doing. And I think they're building towards a good thing considering next year you're getting Owen, maybe even the end of this year, you're going to have Owen Power get some time with us. Maybe Ryan Johnson, who you picked a few years ago. Who knows with Paterka and Quinn, I think both those guys are going to be up next year. And then you have three first round picks, a couple second round picks. And then whatever we can, you know, recoup at the deadline here, Elliot Freeman just put on Sportsnet that the Sabres have gotten calls about Colin Miller, Robert Hag, and even Cody Eakin has gotten calls for the Sabres. Give that man away for a bag of pucks for all I care. Like, this is a time, invest in young players. The Sabres should be, to me, be buyers at the dead deadline. Sell all these guys for whatever draft picks you can get and – Give me your Johnny Boychuk contracts that have one year, two years left that I can just sit away. We have the cap space and give me second, third, fourth round picks that I can then use to either draft or trade and get better players for my team. It's just finally for the first time, and they've shown flashes throughout the season, but these last few games, even against you know the Blue Jackets when they blew a two-goal lead, it finally feels like the culture is finally getting established and the chemistry is building and this team is going to be fun to watch the rest of the year. And all of a sudden during the off season, the Sabres are one of the most intriguing teams in hockey because maybe they make the jump to a playoff team next year, or maybe they're at least right on the edge of it because of all the young talent that they have. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like they're getting back into their crew. I mean, they started the season hot, right? They played spoiler a lot. We talked about how, hey, just go out, play your game, learn how to play together, learn how to win together. Then they hit a wall, right? And there was a big valley there, big gap. Guys were getting hurt. Guys were on COVID. We've gone through, what, seven goalies so far this year. Now, right, these players are coming back healthy. They're getting over their ailments. They're getting over... Um, whatever else kind of kept things in flux. And we still had Eichel at the time too, before the trade. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and right. So now we're seeing what this team is again, back at full strength or almost close to full strength. Um, and it's exciting. They feel it. I, they're, I, obviously you can tell they're, they're happy to be back together. They're happy to be playing together. And I think they can, if they can stay healthy towards the second half of the season, right? They go back to playing spoiler, go back to being that annoying team that might ruin your night or ruin a, a winning streak that you're on. Right. Um, and just keep developing and just keep getting better. Keep building that chemistry. Um, I mean, your point about cousins, he's that physicality is definitely what this team has been missing. I mean, when was the last time a player, got a fine for going after someone, right? Like cousins got fined this morning for his hit on, uh, 
the What's cross his... check on. I don't even remember who it was on Barzell uh, or whoever, Eberly Nelson on Brock Nelson, Nelson. Brock Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, Dylan cousins went head hunting. He <laughs> chased him down the ice and kept him from going to the bench. I mean, that's, if, a, if another player did that to one of our players, right? You'd be like, oh, that dude's a piece of shit. But I, I mean, Cousins deserve the fine, but right? Like that's- I love it. <laughs> right. That's a play you want. You want your your players to show signs of life. I mean, the Sabres have just been so flat and just rolled over so many times against teams that just come over and steal your lunch money. Um, and I think they're finally- getting that confidence where they're able to stand up. They're going to take these cross checks. They're going to punch you back in the mouth. And that's, what's been missing, right? A sign of life from this team. Um, So it's nice to see it back. I mean, we talk about their farm system and just the just lineup of guys waiting to get their turn. JJ Paterka, absolutely incredible. I've been, I've been high on him since we drafted him. If you haven't seen any of his highlights in Rochester, like you have to go watch him right now, his season totals, he's got 13 goals, 27 assists. That's 40 points for him with the Americans. I mean, the, the dude has game winners almost every other night. He's incredible. So that's an exciting name. That's going to join you soon. So, right. And you talk about, um, load up on picks and let's keep drafting young. And I think you got to find a fine line of, all right, when can we turn off the tap and when can we then right stop loading up on guys who are going to develop and young talent. And when can we start then getting serious, pull in, like you said, pull in a one-year deal, some older guys, like we've talked about with the bills, like let's bring in a guy who's, Maybe on his way out, he's got one or two years left. We say, hey, come on, let's go get your ring on your way out. Like, I think the Sabres have to now find it, whether it's the end of this season, middle of next season. But when do you pull that lever and switch from being, hey, let's rebuild, let's find this chemistry, let's find who we are, and say, okay, now we're here. Let's go after it. Let's get aggressive. Let's bring in these names. Um, we've done enough to prove to the league that we aren't a dumpster fire anymore. We mean business. Goo Goo Dolls get the song ready. Here we come. Right. So I think that, I mean, we're not there yet. I think this year is a little premature. I think once you get Owen into the system fully, right. Get him to Rochester, get some of those other guys who are out in your spider web, still playing, finishing up kind of where they're at on their levels bring them into Rochester, then you can say, okay, let's go, right? Because Owen's going to replace Paterka. He's going to replace some of these other guys who have been spending time up with the Sabres team, right? But, I I mean, next year, mid-next year, I, I think you you do. You go balls to wall, you go all out, and you make a playoff push. Um, so, yeah, I love where they're at. It makes you want to watch them again um i wish i was home so i could go to games right like i want to go to games now um i didn't i haven't wanted to go to a sabers game i don't know since they first drafted jack um so it's been a while but it's it's exciting again hockey's getting exciting again um and yeah i i would take tuck and krebs over jack 
10 times out of 10, right? Like I don't, I know I'm probably going to eat those words, but I just, I'm so over Jack. I'm glad he's gone, whatever. I mean, what Tuck is to this team and to this city only being here for a few months way better than what Jack did in his five, six years, five years, four years, whatever it was, right? Like, I just, that's the guy you want on this team. That's the guy you need in Buffalo. He, um, like you, he represents what Josh Allen does for the Bills yes. as far as embracing yeah. it, which is what you, your biggest gripe with yeah. Michael was. And again, Michael making his debut tonight, obviously it's nice that the surgery went well for him as a human being and everything, um, and I actually just want to read one tweet that I saw earlier today because I think it actually describes Eichel's tenure in Buffalo extremely well. And Mike Harrington um, retweeted, but Matt Kunselman uh, was the one that tweeted this out. I favor Eichel. He worked his ass off for the Sabres, but his teammates didn't compete at the level he did. Was he periodically an annoying diva that wasn't a great leader like our boy Josh Allen is? Absolutely but I still think he wasn't rewarded for his hard work in Buffalo. I think as far as not being a good leader, being a diva and all that is very accurate, but I also don't think you can question how much he worked and wanted to win compared to some of the other players on the ice with him during his time in Buffalo. Not to say that he was, you know, always perfect in Buffalo, um, but I think there are some things that get missed sometimes that, yes, he was a diva. Yes, maybe he wasn't the right guy to be a captain, and maybe he shouldn't have been or named that, or we needed to go get a guy like Alex Tuck. And, yes, he needed to embrace Buffalo more like Josh did, but I don't think you can ever question his effort that he put on the ice when he was wearing a Sabres uniform. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? I mean, you try to find a comparison – for him in like the NFL and right. You think maybe Matthew Stafford, as far as right, like the talent wise, but just not on a good team. That's going to help him flourish. But then right from like a diva drama side, I think like OBJ right on Cleveland, he was really good, a decent player, but there's too much noise, too much ridiculousness. And then he goes to the Rams wins a ring right away scores all these touchdowns everyone says he's you know incredible teammate incredible person right and the drama's poof gone right so i think kind of a mixture of those two is is a good comparison of what jack is i mean and i don't think that krebs or tuck will ever reach the potential as an individual player as jack But I think them two plus the first rounder you got and second rounder for them is going to be more than enough to be like, you know what, maybe we lost the best overall player, but we feel way better about our deal because we got our guy that's going to be our captain. I mean, we're talking about a guy that in 16 games with the Sabres has seven goals, 12 assists, 19 points, so over a point per game, and a plus eight. And then you have, you know, Peyton Krebs in 14 games has eight points and three goals, which he never had a goal in his short time when he was in the NHL in Vegas. Then you're adding, yes, maybe it's a 20 through 30 pick um, for, you know, Vegas, depending on where they finish. 
that could be another great player or a player that or a pick that you use to trade for someone good. Um, I think compared to the Ryan O'Reilly deal, this is right away you're already reaping the rewards of a guy that wants to be here. The culture is being built. He's a point per game player. Do I think he's ever going to be a 90, 100 point player like I know Eichel probably can be? No, but if you're getting 260 to 70, if not higher point players back, and you're outweighing that total, total and you're making your roster more balanced, I think it's a win-win overall for both sides. And it's good, I think, for the Sabres. It's good for the NHL that Jack's finally back. And I think right now the Sabres are on a good path, um, you know, compared to where they have been for the last, you know, 10 years overall. Yeah, I feel like in the NHL, you can get by with not having a household superstar player. Right. More so than you can in the NFL. You saw last year with the Canadians. Yeah. I mean, in the NFL, you need a Josh Allen. You need a Joe Burrow. You need a Tyreek Hill to make a run at something. But I think in the NHL, you don't. You can have a Tuck and a Krebs and a Cousins and right a Victor Olafson. You can have these core team players that make the team better. Um and get as far as you need to go now or like i you need a big name player to get you to the final round and get you to a stanley cup and who's to say that krebs can't become that who's to say that owen power can't come in and be that right maybe owen power is the next johnny hockey um right like you don't we don't know yet we'll find out soon um but yeah i think that's way more important to a hockey team of having a core group of guys who are just going to produce for you on a consistent basis than a guy who's going to have the glitz and the glam and all the star power. Um, And that's, that's what we were missing with Jack. It's a shame we didn't have that for him. Um, But I, now that he's gone, I, I think we're in a better spot. I really do. Um, so we'll see. I think we found our Josh Allen for the Sabres, um, which is what this team has been missing for a while. I know it, it's really bothered me. I know it's bothered a lot of other Sabres fans. Um, so it's glad that's where they are. And I hope they just keep getting better and better and get back to the playoffs in a year and a half, two years. Yeah, and it'll be good to finally hopefully have two Buffalo teams flourishing at the same time because I think that would just create for an awesome atmosphere where you see Sabres players going to Bills games and Bills going to Sabres games and just the whole one Buffalo community. And to your point on Owen Power, I know before you kind of mentioned him, um, you know, and Rochester taking Paterka, I really don't think that he's going to touch Rochester at all. I think he's NHL I think he's NHL ready next year. I think yep. you're going to see him at the end of the year after he hopefully wins a title with Michigan in college, get his eight to 10 games or whatever. And I really think next year he is like full on ready to take on, sure. you know, defenseman one or two minutes, which is going to be a good thing. And I think they're all going in the right direction. Hopefully they can win again tomorrow against Ottawa, put three games together because they got Colorado, I think on Saturday. So how well that goes, I don't know. They're probably the best team in the league right now. Yep. Um, 
but finally some good stuff around the Sabres, it seems like, because this last week there's been a lot of ups and downs. The team has been playing well, but there's still been that background noise of they're only getting 8,000 people. Obviously, Eichel's return. There's some, a lot of mixed feelings going around. And I was talking to you before we started recording that. If you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend go listen to Nathan Gerby, former Sabre, on the Spin Chicklets Guys podcast on Barstool. Really insightful. Talked about how much he actually loved playing in Buffalo, that he was grateful for them picking him in the fifth round, um, that he's always been a loyal guy. And then towards the end of the interview, you kind of hear some more bad stuff about the Bagulas that, you know, when he finally got bought out, how he got bought out was a very interesting story um, via email, kind of some deep stuff. They talk about how they have guys from Buffalo lined up to talk about the Sabres and why they were so bad and stuff going on behind the scenes. Obviously we don't want to focus on that, but I still think it's an intriguing listen for hardcore Sabres fans and a guy that was a fan favorite when he was here because of the size and the, you know, underdog mentality. And it's a pretty good insight um, to hear about that. So definitely worth the listen there as well. Yeah. I mean, look, football season might be over. Uh, still, still a bunch to talk about. We got the Sabres. You've got Bison's baseball uh, starting in just under two months. April Bandits. 7th. April. Bandits are fucking on fire. They are five and one. They lost their first game of the season this weekend to Toronto, but they are an absolute powerhouse. They're so much fun to watch. You can watch them on TV. Now the NLL has a deal with ESPN. So you can watch their games on ESPN. Um, they're, they're so much fun to watch, right? As, as a big lacrosse fan in general, um, it's always good when the bandits are playing well and they consistently are, right? they don't get enough respect in Buffalo. Uh, which isn't fair to them. They deserve to sell out the arena, um, and uh, they're they're on fire right now. It's a fun team to watch. They play hard. They play fast, um, and they are kicking ass and taking names. So uh, keep an eye out for the Bandits. So lots to talk about. Lots still uh, to enjoy in the Buffalo sports world. Absolutely. I think the Bandits are actually – I think it was just reported two days ago or three days ago they're averaging either – just above or just under what the Sabres are averaging for their games this year. So I'm sure we'll get to talk about them now that the Bills are we're more off-season mode. Obviously, we're still going to talk about them a lot because they're pretty much our ride or die, and they're the best team in Buffalo right now. Um, There's a lot of things that are going to be going on. Like we've been talking about the draft. There's going to be some trades. Maybe we'll see some extensions coming up. Um, A lot of stuff going on, um, but we'll have all that and more in the coming weeks. Um, but we appreciate everyone for tuning in. Um, we'll hear back from us next week. Once again, if you don't follow us um, on Instagram, please give us a follow there at English Encore Podcast. I'm going to try to get some more videos up there to having some laptop issues that I hopefully have fixed now. So hopefully this weekend I'm going to get some stuff on there. So please give us a follow there. But we appreciate everyone's support once again. This has been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Connection, Allen and Diggs. No one circles the wagon like the Buffalo Bills.